Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Good morning, church. Man, y'all are awake. This is good. This is only going to get better from here, right? Um, if, if you could open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10 as our main text this morning. Um, we are wrapping up our series called Vertical Church where we have been talking about some of the most complicated things in life and things that we mess up the most. And, and last week's uh, topic, if you haven't listened to that, was a great, uh, a great point to what I just said. But we talked about all of these different things about elevating them and elevating our life and our choices, the way that we live, the way that we love, the way that we spend our money, the way that we care for our husband and wife, all of those things, elevating those to the glory of God. And, and we've talked about from the Apostle Paul that he had these two ideas that radically, that radically shaped everything that he did, every conversation that he had, everywhere that he went. And the, the first and big idea um, was the idea for the sake of the gospel from 1 Corinthians 9.23. The Paul, he said that I'm going to live my life for the sake of the gospel. I'm not going to live my life for the sake of me. I'm not just going to do things that I want to do. I'm not just going to feed on my pleasures. But instead, I'm going to live my life for the sake of the gospel. That, I'm, that my conversations are going to be a little bit, a little bit salty when I'm around non-Christians. That my conversations are just going to be sprinkled with a little bit of salt when I get around people who are struggling or maybe who are searching for God or maybe people who know God but yet they have been separated from Him. And Paul says that I want to sprinkle that with salt and I want to live my life for the sake of the gospel. I want us to do that as a church and as individuals. For us, that we would go into our workplace, that we would go into our homes, that we would have conversations with our kids and we would say, you know what, this, this house just doesn't exist for us, for our pleasure, for our enjoyment, for our, 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 even our well-being. We want to live our life and we want to govern our home for the sake of what, church? Tell me. The gospel. But then also the Apostle Paul, it wasn't just for the sake of the gospel. He wanted to live his life. And we know this also from Scripture, from 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says that everything I do, everything I eat, Everything I drink and whatever I do, I want to do it for the glory of God. That I want to elevate my very being and the choices that I make and the things that I consider freedoms. I want, I want to invite God in, into everything. I want God to permeate my very being, my very existence, my thoughts, my decisions, my habits, my pleasure, my joy. I want God to be everywhere in the midst and I want to live my life for the glory of God. So this morning, we kind of take an interesting, interesting topic, and it's going to be a challenging topic for some, but, but my prayer has been this week, and I could do a lot of praying this week because I didn't have a whole lot of a voice, actually, so um, I didn't get to talk a lot, which was a blessing around my house, I'm sure, but I got to pray a lot, and one of the things I prayed about was that each person who would hear this message would hear it without some preconceived notion about it. It's that kind of topic. This is what Luke 19, verse 1 through 10 says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
He wanted, to, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, I'm just saying right here, I'm excited about this. I, I, we're representing. Why are y'all laughing? Y'all are terrible. He was a short man, but he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Now, a couple things about this text. Zacchaeus, he was a short man, so he's representing uh, my people well. But Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. By, and many of us maybe have an idea, and we've heard about this, uh, about what a tax collector was in the New Testament times. A tax collector, um, if you don't know, is this would be someone who would given, be given the opportunity. They would literally, almost like they, they would bid for this job that they wouldn't get payment for, but instead, the Roman government would choose a Jewish person to go to the other Jewish people and say, here, here's what you're going to do. I want you to collect the taxes from Caesar and everything that, that you get off the top, you can keep for yourself. So if you get a lot, you get to keep a lot. But they didn't actually earn their own salary. They all earned like a dirty salary. So they had basically no friends well, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. So that means that not only, I almost attribute this to like a used car salesman. You know, like I need $750 for this car, but you know, like some, some feeble old lady comes in and be like, ma'am, this car is $2,000. You take it home today. You know, I almost think it's like one of those things where he's just a little bit filthy, a little bit, a little bit dirty, and he would go to your house and he'd kind of look around and see what you have and say, wow, you know what? Uh, th- this is the taxes that you're supposed to to put forth, but it looks like you can afford just a little bit more. And what Zacchaeus would do is he would take that, he would take to Caesar, and he would give to Caesar, but then everything else he would skim off the top, he'd put in his wallet. So he, he excelled in this nature, and as a matter of fact, then he became the chief tax collector. This is like worse than the IRS. It's like worse than the IRS. It's like he's, he's the chief tax collector. He was so good at conning people out of money that now they wanted to promote him. So now he was in charge of, the, of everyone else to teach them how to con people out of money. We've got a clear picture of that so far, right, church? All right. So tax collector, that's what Zacchaeus was. We see that in, in verse 2. He was the chief tax collector, and because of that, he became very wealthy. I want you all to do me a favor, and I want you to col- just complete this phrase. The problem with money is, right? I'm going to say it out loud, and I want everybody to say what, what you think the problem with money is, and I'm going to see if I can pick up on some of the things that you say, all right? The problem with money is, that was pitiful, so much so I didn't even understand a word you said. I would imagine that we would say the problem with money is maybe it makes us do things that we wouldn't want to or that we never thought that we would do. Maybe the problem with money is, and I'm sure some of you is thinking, I just need a little bit more if we're honest, right? 
we think, well, the problem with money is this. You may have an idea what the problem with money is, and, and kind of the angle that I'm going to jump into this, and we're basically we're going to follow Zacchaeus' wallet. That's what we're going to follow through this text. Because we're going to see that there's a condition of his heart that we see in the actions that he makes with the money that is in his wallet. So that's what we're going to do. And the, the first thing that I would like to just kind of point out is that your money is a control freak. Your money is a control freak. Your money will make you do things that you don't want to do. Your money will cause you to act in ways that you would not act otherwise. This doesn't matter if you have a lot of money or if you have a little money. It will cause you to do things. Your money will make you do things. If you, have a little, if you just have a little bit of money and you need more money, it, you, it will, it will it make you want to do things to make more money. But then if you have more money, all you can think about is the money that you have and then you want to hold on to the money that you have. Your money is a control freak. It's the same thing that we see in Zacchaeus' life. It was controlling him. He would go house to house. And as the tax collector would go to this person's house and, and he would con this person out of money, he would say, wow, this is pretty sweet. Like, I got a little bit of money. And now I'm, I'm kind of motivated. Now I want to go do my job. Now I want to go collect taxes because if I did pretty well at this house, I think I can do pretty well at this house. And it was, it was controlling him. It was making him do things and making him go. And I bet it, it would make him do things that he probably never thought he would do. Illustrate this with the story. Um, when I was a, a young, young child, I, I stumbled upon a jackpot. It was amazing. It was a jackpot for a young man, a uh, young boy, actually. And I, I remember distinctly that we lived on Clay Street in Taylorville, Illinois, and I remember that uh, one day that I was going through and doing my chores, and I was kind of, there was hardwood floors, old school hardwood floors, which means they were always dirty, which means they always needed clean, and that was one of the unfortunate things that I had to do. But, but this specific day, I remember going through this house and looking up at, on top of my dad's dresser. And my dad's dresser had a bunch of change sitting on top of it. And I looked, and I'm like, I'm sweeping the floor, and I'm doing my thing, and I'm like, man, that change is just sitting there. You know, for a young boy, I mean, you can turn 50 cents into like mambas and sixlets and, you know, in good candy. Like, now you can't do anything with 50 cents. But now I remember just sweeping the floor and looking over. I'm like, man, that change is just sitting there. It's just changed. If, if my dad would have wanted it, he would have took it with him. So obviously he didn't want it. So that specific day, I, I remember that I was just like, and I took it and I just put it in my pocket and I... But, you know, I was smart about it. I left a little bit of change there because if it was all gone, then it would look like I took something, right? This is, this is filthy. This is like confessional. So the money goes off the dresser, but I leave a little bit, and I put it away, and I go on my, and then I go to school, and on the way home, we used to go to the little market. It was just about a block off of the path from us going to school, and I would go in, and I would turn that little bit of change, which was stealing. It was, it was theft. It's what it was. Filthy as can be. And I would go and I would turn that into some, into some sugary, nectar, sweet goodness, candy, mambas and sixlets. Loved it, right? Well, one of the things is, then every time that I would go into his room and it became more and more often, I would go back into his room and I'd be like, this is amazing. There's more money on that dresser. It's like he's putting it there on purpose. 
So then you just take a little bit more money, and I'd put it in my pocket, and then I would go to school, and on the way home, it'd be like, it's like found money, jackpot. This is amazing. This is like a pot of gold. So I would go, and I'd turn that into candy, and then I would go home. And after a while, I started to do that more and more and more often, but I crossed the line and got caught. There was one specific day. My dad always collected a 50-cent piece. He always had one in his pocket. He probably still does to this day. I don't know. I have no idea why he collected this 50-cent piece. I don't think it had any real significance other than 50 cents. You know, I really don't. But I remember one specific day that I went and I cleared it off and I took that 50-cent piece. Everything was fine up to then. But let me tell you, as soon as I got found out with that 50-cent piece, and I mean, 50-cent piece, that's like... 50 cents, people, that's a lot as a little kid back in those days, back in my day. So I, I turned that 50 cents again in, into some uh, sweet, nectary, sugary goodness, and it was incredible. But then later on when my dad got home and he went and looked at his dresser looking for his 50-cent piece, he didn't find it, but you know what he did find? Me. He found me. And I was guilty as can be. And I, you know, I know people are all over the place on this. But back in my day, we got whoopings. And that day, I got a few. And I deserved it. See, that money had a, it had a, a sense of control over me. It's like I would go back to it. And after a while, I started to think about it. And I'm like, well, if I go back and the money's just sitting there, and who cares? It's just a little bit of change. And it's always there. So I can just, I can just grab it and I can turn it and do what I want with it. And then I would just keep going back to the same place. And after a while, I almost felt like I was entitled to it. I'd convinced myself that it was for me, although it wasn't mine. And as a matter of fact, I was actually getting allowance at this time, but I would squander my allowance, and I just needed a little bit more. Isn't that the same with our money? It's like, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. If you're, if you're wealthy, and maybe you're, you're a philanthropist, and you give and give and give, you just want a little bit more money. This, this doesn't even necessarily have a negative connotation. Even if you're a philanthropist, and you, you put your money into things, and rebuilding, and, and you know, whether, whatever, it's a ministry, or something not affiliated with Christ, but putting your money in places, you, you always want more money, because you're like, I want to do more good. I, always do, I want to do more good. But then also, if we end up getting into money, we think, you know what, I, I can just work just a little bit more overtime to get a little bit more money. I can just work a little bit more overtime to get a little bit more money because there's this, this four-wheeler that I really want, and hunting season's coming, so if I just work a little bit more overtime, yeah, my, my wife is, and my kids, I'm not going to be available to them as much as I should be, but I'm going to have just a little bit more money, and I'll put this money away, and, and I'm going to buy this four-wheeler because hunting season's coming. Or it could be a myriad of other things. We start to think and we start making concessions and the money starts controlling us because we have a natural inclination to greed. We all do. We all do. That's the same thing that happened with Zacchaeus. It started controlling him. He started to be affected by this and he started to, to, to excel in, in basically the con job that he was doing. And I just have a little, a little catchphrase for us this morning. This is not really nifty, but if it causes you to, uh, to remember this talk, then it's worth it for me. If money is all you see, then greedy is all you'll be. If money's all you see, then greedy is all you'll be. It's like you think, you know what? I see money, and I'll, I'll be, I'm just going to give complete transparency. 
If somebody who is the money manager in a home, you think dollar signs every time that you think about a purchase. If, if you are the money manager in your home, you know exactly what I'm saying. When you talk about, hey, we, honey, we need to go do this, and the person who's the money manager in the home is thinking, okay, I know this is going to cost this, which means that's not going to happen, or now this is going to happen, so where's that money going to come in? Is this true? If that's true, say amen. See, that's, that's the type of thing, and it starts to, to take control over us. But I want to challenge that idea. If money's all you see, then greedy's all you'll be. You'll think, you know what, even if you're a good manager of your money, you're going to tend to, to think, ugh, it's, it's about the money and it's about these things. My hope for today is that we would invite God in and then we would even elevate our giving and our money to the glory of God. You choose what you do with it. You choose what you do with it. That's between you and, and the Holy Spirit as it ministers to you if you're a Christian this morning. But to even elevate our giving and our money to the glory of God. Because we do a lot for the glory of us. We do a lot. Matthew 6, 24 says this. This will be on the screen. Jesus always says it better than me. He says, no one can serve two masters. He will, either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It can't happen. The two cannot coexist. We live in, in the best, in the richest, in the most financially gifted country in the existence of humanity. This is something that we need. We need to understand this. That we cannot serve both God and money. We can't. You either serve your money or you serve God with your money. That's what Scripture says. Back to our text, verse 3 and 4 says this. Zacchaeus, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but he, being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. We'll stop right there. Interesting. Zacchaeus was short. Two things that men did not do in, in this culture, in the Jewish culture of this day. They didn't run and they didn't climb trees. They didn't, they didn't run and they didn't climb trees. So Zacchaeus was putting himself out there a little bit and he's saying, you know what? I don't care what other people think of me in this time. I want to go see who this person is called Jesus. I want to go see. As a matter of fact, it, it, it would be it's as uncommon to see a man running in his culture as it would be to see a man, a grown man skipping in ours. How many grown men do you see skipping down US 80? And all of those who are thankful say amen. Because that'd be weird, right? But it's one of those things. They didn't run and they didn't climb trees. And Zacchaeus had to humble himself by climbing this tree and make a public spectacle of himself. But I would say it in this way. For us, for, for, for you and me, Christians this morning, if you're a non-Christian, really much of this message doesn't pertain to you until the next point. But for you and I this morning, we have to be a little weird as far as, as the world is concerned. First Peter says we need to live as aliens and strangers in this world. Whatever the world's standard is for your money, whatever the world's standard is for giving, that we need to elevate our life and live it to the glory of God. That we need to do things not... not being conformed to the, to the standard of the world, but being transformed 
and by the renewal of our mind which comes in Christ Jesus. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that. But we need to be a little weird. We need to put ourselves out there a little bit. Zacchaeus was, was short. Everybody knew he was short. But you know what? He may have been short, but he had power over people. But he lost that power when he climbed the tree and when he was running through town. And when he got up to the tree, amazing thing is, look, keep going in the text. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus reached the spot. Who was Jesus looking for? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was in a tree and Jesus was looking for him. A point that I want all of us to kind of take away with this morning is the Savior always finds a person who's open to receive him. The Savior always finds a person who's open to receive him. Always. Hands down. Every single time. If you will humble yourself before God, he will meet you there every single time. This is so true, and every time that I've had an opportunity to share Christ with someone, this, this becomes true, and I've seen this time and time and time again. I've had the privilege of, of, of sharing Christ with, with two people who are in this room right now. And nothing is more of a blessing than seeing a grown man or woman or a child basically come humbly before God, and God to say, you know what, I'm going to meet you right there. Zacchaeus was in a tree. Jesus knew exactly where he was. As a matter of fact, Jesus went to Zacchaeus because the Savior always finds a person who's open to receive him. Do you believe it this morning? I believe there are people in this room who are not walking with God, who have not, who have not humbled themselves before God, who have not submitted themselves before God, and they're trying to live their life to their standard, their own standard. And they have no, they have no idea of how good this really feels. I remember the day that I received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And I remember walking as if just not even knowing really what I was doing. It's not necessarily a weird out-of-body experience, that type of thing. But I remember going from the pew to the front. And I remember just thinking, wow, something is happening here that is so much bigger than me. Because the Savior always finds the person who's open to receive Him. On that day, I had heard the gospel. I had went to Catholic school. I had heard the gospel. I had known about Jesus. I had some misconceptions, but I knew who Jesus was. I knew that He was God's Son. I, I knew about the resurrection. I believed in the resurrection. But I had never come before God and availed myself to Him because the Savior always finds the person who's open to receive Him. I'd never done that. I'd had a bunch of tidbits of information and I'd never been able to put them together. And you know what? And I know there's an active work of the Holy Spirit when somebody receives Christ. I know how all that works. And, and now I do. But at that time, as the Holy Spirit just came into me and He revealed to me, you know what? I am broken before God. And the only way that I can be made right is through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're saved, say amen this morning. The Savior always finds the person who's open to receive him. Always. Are you open this morning? 
Did you come in this place thinking, you know what? I'm going I'm to punch the clock. I come in here at 11 o'clock. Hope, hopefully I'm done before 12.15 so I can beat the rest of the rush, you know, and get out to the restaurants. Or did you say, you know what? I'm coming in this place, and, and Lord, I know that I've accepted you in my life, but I am open to receive your word this morning. I'm open to receive your word. I know it's a choice for us to come humbly before God and say, you know what? I have nothing to offer but myself in humility before you. Verse 8 through 10. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save that what was lost. Jesus met him right under that tree. He knew exactly where he was. I mentioned earlier that we're going to follow his, we're going to, we're going to follow Zacchaeus' heart by looking at his wallet. Zacchaeus, as he's up in this tree talking down to Jesus, He kind of stood up a little bit and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times. In other words, he's saying, Lord, I know that what I've done is wrong and I want to repent before you. I want to repent and repentance means that I'm going to turn from those ways. I know that I was a chief tax collector. I know that I excelled in the world system. I know that I was only into taking from other people. But instead, God, I want to, I want to use what you are doing in me and I want to turn away from that. And as I want to show you what I'm doing with my wallet, what you're doing in my heart. And he says, and I, I'm, going to, I'm going to give money to the poor and I'm going to give four times the amount that if I offended other people and I've taken from other people. If you magnify God with your money, you magnify God with your money so it will minimize its control over you. That's what you do. Magnify God with your money so it will minimize its control over you. That's what Zacchaeus did. The very stronghold in his life was his wallet. The thing that drove him was his wallet. The thing that that made him be hated by other people was his wallet. That he was greedy and he was selfish. But if... But if you follow his wallet and his actions, he started to magnify God with his money so it would minimize its control over him. How great would life be if we could say that this morning? How great would that be? How great would that be for you and I to just say, you know what, God, I don't have a lot, but I want you to have whatever is due you. Whatever is due we magnify God with our money, it will minimize its control over us. Proverbs 11.24 says, One man gives freely, yet gains even, even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. To poverty. So one man gives freely, and in God's word says he, he gains even more. So if he gives of himself, then God blesses him and he says, you know what, you weren't stingy with this, but in turn, I'm going to give you this. But the person who holds so tightly to it will eventually lose it. But I believe more for us that if we magnify God with our money, it will minimize its control 
over us. You know, I know there's, there, there's some people who, who would hear this. Maybe they're not in this room. Maybe he'll hear this message later and they think, well, it's a preacher. Of course. This is what, this is what he's going to say, Right? We all have this idea and we've all seen the, you know, the, the preacher on TV wanting to sell holy water for like $100 a bottle and, you know, and the whole nine yards. And I, and I get, I, I have really, really, I'm not going to share with you exactly how I feel about stuff like that. It's not that pleasant. But we, we all have ideas about preachers and money. But I want, you to, I want to tell you with some humility, earlier in my walk with Christ, I wasn't bought into this idea. I wasn't magnifying God with my money, with my wallet, with my heart. Marla has always been the one who the, is the giver in our relationship. She's always been. And I didn't understand that. I didn't understand where she was coming from because I was always the money-minded person. I was always the one. I didn't have very much, but what I did have, I wanted to hold on very, very tightly. And I didn't understand the blessing of giving and saying, okay, what is this like to give? I don't even get this. And like, you like give everything away. And I'm thinking, if you give everything away, I'm going to have to rebuy everything you give away. So I was always struggling with this. It's it, it really, the, the transformation, one of the biggest transformations in my life and in my heart is for God to show me his ways and not my own. To seek his kingdom and his righteousness with my finances, with my money. And say, you know what? I could do all these things. I could, I could have a boat. I could have a four-wheeler. I could have a hunting lease. I could do all these things. I could, I could do all those things to puff myself up. I could. But who do they honor? Who do they honor? Us. But instead, now I start to see, wow, it is a blessing to give. And it may not be very much. But to spring for somebody's lunch, spring for somebody's breakfast, maybe just spring it for somebody's coffee, and the joy that you give when you let go of some of which God has given you. Because when you magnify God with your money, it minimizes control over you. It's a simple yet so profound of an idea. But it's not something that, that it just automatically happened with me. And, and I started to really understand this before I was in full-time ministry. Now, I could tell you I didn't have some, some moment, you know, where like the first time I gave to the church, like I had $1,000 waiting on my windshield. That'd be awesome. You know, th- that's not even the case. One, one thing I can tell you, the blessings of God come in all shapes and sizes. They come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes they're financially. Sometimes it's through things. Sometimes it's just the comfort of knowing that you made a difference. Because when you magnify God with your money, it minimizes control over you. And if money's all you see, then greedy is all you'll be. Simple truth. It's something that I've really come, I've come to understand through the years. And now I can honestly say that it, it is freeing. And I'm at the point now where I, I would love to give more, but I'm at the point now where I would love, I would love to get more or to give more, but... You have to get to that point of understanding first. You know what? I don't know who gives and who doesn't in this church. I'll just be honest with you. I don't. And in giving, I'm not just talking about giving to this church. I'm just talking about being a giving person. I believe that Christians, if they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they're going to give to things that build the kingdom. They're going to give to things that are making a difference in the world today. And I can tell you the church is. 
I could tell you a lot of ministries that are making a difference in the world today. I can also tell you where people put a lot of money that ain't making a bit of difference in the world today. My call for you is not that, that we would puff ourselves up and that we would do all of these things. What I want you to do is I want you to take an honest assessment to see if you are doing the things as a Christian that give, give glory to you or give God the glory with your finances. In closing, there's another list. We've pretty much had a list all six weeks. Did you have a list when I was gone? You did? You failed me. Five out of six. That percentage isn't bad. But this morning, just so you can kind of take away a little homework and then also a little direction. First thing is, in this whole idea of giving all of this, giving glory to God in your, in your finances, in your life, these types of things. First thing, take a spiritual inventory. I believe all Christians should give. Because they are the ones who have received. Just like you see in verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that what was lost. We, if you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you, was, you, you were very lost. And because of the difference that Christ makes in our life, that it demands a response on our part. That we need to take a, a spiritual inventory. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, this is the homework part. I'm not going to go through all these scriptures. I want you to do it later. But I'll just give you a, a real quick synopsis of it. Basically asking the question, is Christ my foundation? Is Christ my foundation? Am I storing things that matter or storing up for things that matter? Or uh, is Christ my foundation? Is my, my life built on wood, hay, and stubble? Or is it built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ? It's really the starting point for this whole discussion. It's the starting point for your life. Because if, if you've, you put your life in like the, the cornerstone of your life is built on stuff and, and things that you can have and people you can be friends with and a position at work, I can tell you right now, your foundation is crumbling. You just may not see it. Foundation has to be Christ. Then after that, I want you to take a financial inventory. Am I storing up Treasures in heaven or on earth? That's what that scripture, Matthew 6, 20. Am I storing up treasures in heaven or treasures on earth? I don't know that answer for you. But I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and you'll listen. Take a financial inventory. Next thing, control your money. I've just basically generalized this, give, save, spend. This is like, this is the, the order of your life. If you give first, if you give first, and I would say give generously, and then you save wisely, whatever amount that, that you need, and it's not a, a certain amount, I'm not like a financial planner, I'm not going to sit here and say all that. Um, I believe that that when Christ comes into your heart, He will reveal to, to you what it is that you should give. But then also, He's also going to speak into, into how much you should save. What you want for the future. If you want to retire at 50, you better save more money back at 30. If you want to retire at 70, you're probably not going to have to put as much money back each, at, at each increment. But you need to give generously, you need to save wisely, and then you can spend unashamedly. One of the reasons we feel guilty with the money that we spend is because we're not being good stewards with it to begin with. We haven't magnified God with it. And if we haven't magnified God with it, of course we're going to feel bad about it. 
Because we're basically telling God, you know what? I got this. I'm going to give glory to myself in this. I deserve it. There's that money on the dresser, and I, I almost feel like I'm entitled to it. Next thing is guard your heart by giving. This scripture speaks into to sowing generous seed to keep the devil at bay. You guard your heart by following God's principles. You guard your heart. You, you won't feel the guilt of, well, what am I doing with my money? Am I, spending, am I doing this right? Should I be saving this? If you invite God in and you magnify God, it minimizes his control over you. And one of the benefits of that is the guarding of your heart by giving. The sowing of generous seed keeps the devil at bay. That's what it does. If you're being responsible with your giving, you don't even have to feel guilty. And the devil doesn't have control over that. Next thing is free yourself by giving. Cheerful giving brings joy from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. It brings joy. That's what happens when you're a cheerful giver. The Lord in turn brings a spirit of joy. You don't have guilt. You just feel joyful. Whatever that amount is for you about giving, being a giving person. And taking from one of our key texts for this whole passage, just the idea of glorifying God in our spending from 1 Corinthians 10.31. Just glorifying God with our spending. A lot of people in a time like this would come through and they'd say, well, you need to give this amount and you need to do this, but I'm not going to do that. I think the Bible is very clear in looking at the life of Zacchaeus. That I think each and every one of us can look into our life. That we, we, do, we take these steps, the spiritual inventory, the financial inventory. We take control of our money and so on and so forth. And I think if we, we use these principles, I think each and every one of us can step up our giving. I, I want to share this part about the church. We have a lot of new folks and a lot of folks don't understand why we do this. We don't pass the plate as a lot of churches do. There's nothing wrong with passing the plate. We've just chosen not to. The reason why is we don't want people to feel awkward as the plate is going around. And like, we think that every time that you give into the local church, it's an act of worship. And it is a personal act of worship. And we don't want to cause a stumbling block for anyone else as somebody else puts in a check or somebody else puts in cash or however it is that you give. Uh, we don't take Visa, uh, you know, MasterCard or Discovery. Uh, or discover, but however it is that you give, it's not to make the person next to you feel uncomfortable. It could be an act of worship for you, but the person next to you could be like, well, I could never give that amount. It's not a matter of the other person. It's a personal, spiritual act of worship, of giving. So the reason why we have the brown box in the back, and this is a difficulty for us as a church. We're always talking about the brown box. And we've had people come in for months and be like, hey, what's this brown box thing y'all talk about? And be like, seriously, the room's not that big, okay? Like, it's right back there. But that's the reason why the, the brown box is there, and that's the reason why we don't pass the plate. There's nothing wrong with churches that do, but we've chosen not to. It is an act of worship. With the money that's in your bank account, if you were to go home today and you were to go look at, at your, your bank register, your checkbook, and all of these things, if you were to go through, what would your finances look like? Would they look like 
Oh, that glorified me, that glorified me, that glorified me, that glorified me. Oh, no, 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 I bought a Bible study book. Thank you, God. Yes, that one's for you. And now that one's me, and that one's me. Would it look like that? Would it look like a whole lot of glorifying things to yourself? Or would it look like you're glorifying God? Mm -hmm.